Welcome to Best Boys, a film podcast. An amateur film study podcast for the average Joe, the buffest buffs, and the cringest bingers. I'm your host, JP, and I'm joined by my brother, professional Hollywood videographer, Corey with a story. How's everybody doing? Welcome back to another great, uh, spooktacular weekend. Yeah, it is the, it is the, uh... The weekend of spooks. All Hallows Eve approaches. Devil's Night uh, is uh, is a thing. I don't know when this is gonna drop exactly, but all those things they they happen around now, <laughs> and uh, and that's why we're here with a with a themed episode for you all. Um, we're, today we're gonna be talking about George A. Romero's uh, three of his uh, Living Dead movies. Uh, talking about. Night of the Living Dead, followed by the sequel, Dawn of the Dead, followed by the sequel, Day of, you guessed it, the Dead. Okay, all right, it's easy, easy there. <laughs> um, but yeah, don't want to uh, crank it up too much already. Uh, I don't think they can handle that. Um, It'd be too spooky but, for them. Yes, or something like that. Uh, so we got a couple movies. Uh, this is our first uh, triple episode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think we briefly talked about Space Jam on a, on a previous one as just a little side thing at the end, but no, nah, I don't think that that does not count. That is not. Yeah, this is a first full Monty triple. Full Monty. Uh, yeah. So this is the most the infamous uh, zombie trilogy uh, directed by George A. Romero. And uh, let me. I wanted to talk about. I think it'd be makes the most sense to uh, talk about him at first. So we are from. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and George Romero is uh, is heavily uh, uh, affiliated with the area. Is uh, um, a lot of people um, consider him a representative. And the original Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead specifically uh, take place in the Pittsburgh area, both of which were shot in the Pittsburgh area. And it's super interesting. And watching these movies, particularly the the first two, it was just like, wow, this is totally where I live. This is definitely where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And you can see it, you know, in, in the landscapes and the in the roads. And then obviously with the mall, Monroeville Mall, I literally live five minutes from Monroeville Mall. <laughs> uh, it is super, super wild. Uh, it's super cool. And it's just neat to know that this much of uh, cinema history has ties to the area. And uh, and the budgets, of, you know, it, it's just between the budgets of the movies and the locations, it just makes you feel like you can make a movie. Anyone can make a movie. That's what this. For sure. That is what these make me feel like. It's not even just make a movie, but you can make a movie at a high level with nothing mm-hmm. or very little, because I would not say nothing. There's a lot of people involved in all these, uh, and you can see that that it's like the the people and the. Uh, all the people that believe in the projects, like putting it together. You got this vibe in our um, John Waters episode with uh, um, learning about how Pink Flamingos and, and his early films were made. And this kind mm. of gives me a similar vibe. Baltimore and Pittsburgh, too. Um, the accents come out. Uh, there's there's a couple <laughs> Pittsburgh accents. Not so much in the first one, but uh, I heard some in Dawn of the one, Dead yeah. um, that were really funny. Uh, so... Before uh, we get, uh, I, we will start in order, obviously, with the night, then the dawn, and then the day. Um, but is there, is there any? So, what kind of, um, you know, uh, history do you have with 
with the films and zombies and and whatnot and george uh so my uh one of my friends uh growing up lived across the street from us um we went on a huge horror kick when we were like elementary and middle school when we'd go to the local hollywood video uh if you know what that is uh walk uh walk there you know 45 minute walk each way and then just binge whatever we could got and just watch it on repeat and uh this this was like one of those uh the first night of the living dead where it was like yeah it was old and it's a kid you know watching old movies isn't always the best but it just like triggered the whole zombie uh craze for us at least and honest and for everybody I and mean, this is the the first Night of the Living Dead is the blueprint, essentially, for how to make a, a proper zombie movie. And horror, I would is... say indie horror blueprint, even more so. Yeah. Uh, um, like really, think about, think about. I mean, I, I want to talk about that when we get to when we get to it. But this Night of the Living Dead in particular is a really mm. a indie horror blueprint that you can follow to this day. Uh, and I think and get it. I think people do in you know these some of these really low budget a like not a twenty four like kind of films um they they could easily i think of a film like green room or uh or even like lamb uh i you know as mm. much as it's more abstract it the the scope and the the uh but the creep factor i think owes a lot to movies like this and obviously there's hitchcock and, and there's mm. we're not experts in early horror or anything but this makes me want to get deeper into it because of how well these films are made, but yet still showing like a rawness and a, mm. um, I wouldn't say amateur, but maybe less polished. Yeah, raw. I think is the best word to use because I don't. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's just not uh, refined. Yeah, and when with the uh, especially with the Night of the Living Dead. Um, I mean, made in what is it, nineteen sixty eight. Yeah, and still being in black and white and being all that they could really get to shoot on and whatever they could get to make it um, really just goes to show that it's just how you use the tools uh, and less is more is a great rule for a lot of things. I mean, this movie takes place in essentially one location for the bulk of it, and uh, it's that's it's all you need for to you know it's go out and shoot has never been more uh, real if you think about it with all the how easy it is with cameras and equipment and everything now and. These guys were doing it back on film in the 60s. Um, uh, so, so he's from, so I guess he's associated with the Pittsburgh area because he went to CMU, Carnegie Mellon University. Um, and he apparently, after college, did a lot of commercial work um, and doing commercials and short films. I have here that one of his early commercial films was a segment for Mr. Rogers. And if you're not familiar with Mr. Rogers, he's another Pittsburgh legend. Um, as well and that in and, and so apparently you know coming out of that they formed a production company and then go to work um work and doing night of the living dead and that was the first one and it was a huge cult classic um you know uh one of the early uh midnight films or you know what are, i think that's what those called um those like uh like cult cult films that they play uh, yeah, I think I knew term. Well, I think uh, the the in watching the John Waters stuff. The, they talked about them a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Underground. Yeah, so it's like mm -hmm. one of that. It's like that, and uh, Pink Flamingos is a, a part of that. Probably for a different. John Waters films are part of that for different reasons. Uh, but um, it's just it, it's so simple and so effective. And I guess that we can just jump right into the first one then from here. I don't really have much else to mention. Um, boy. Yeah, go for it. So I watched this on HBO Max, and the remaster of this movie was 
fantastic. This looked like I was watching some uh, HD um, like um, homage or like a um, like a Wes Anderson thing or like a, when they or even like the Lighthouse, um, mm. where they try to purposely make it look old, but it's still HD and you can still see everything. It's black and white, but yeah. this this remaster is fantastic. You can see everything so good. Um, all mm -hmm. all the the versions I saw, um, Dawn of the Dead, I saw an HD version of that, and it was what really good as well. But this, they're just maybe because of the black and white in the texture really just mm -hmm. lends itself well, um, to how the movie looks. So the movie, how it looks, is is great. Like if they weren't wearing '60s clothes, and, and uh, I might not be able to be able to tell when the year was. Other if you did, if it, the black and white didn't matter, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, the uh, they really made this. Um, I mean, I'm probably not aware of it at the time, but they made it timeless and just kind of like the way the locations that are used are still, you know, if living in the Pittsburgh area, that looks just like that. Nothing's changed. A um, I see, yeah, we I've seen cemeteries that look like that. A little house out in the you know sticks that look like yeah. that. Um, so um, but the way that it was lit with uh, the heavy contrast, yeah, I was gonna say the HBO Max, uh, Max remaster uh, or whatever free scan yeah. did for it. Uh, uh, yeah, is... It's probably not for HBO Max, but yeah, you know. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, but uh, it looks yeah, it looks great, especially because of how contrasty this is. I feel like if you had a, a lower res or worse quality version, it'd be um, it would probably date it a little bit more. Um, but you can still you know see everything in the shadows and everything is great, especially for when you're working on a shoestring budget and it's just like black. When you're shooting black and white, it's very much a you can throw light because there's no color that you have to worry about or like daylight or tungsten or anything. So it's just just paint it uh paint the light in there and, and it, this just looks so good uh, especially once they get into the house where you have all the almost like pseudo noir uh look to it um oh so, get, yeah yeah <clears throat> especially when they have them like going up the step the one that stuck out to me was whenever uh, barbara was walking up the steps when she was seeing the the dead uh body on the ground for the first time and you've just got these like shafts of light hitting the wall but everything on, on the upstairs is just falling to complete black and then as yeah she's, it's like, like the unknown up, of the upstairs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um I, I it's super interesting choices aesthetically you can make with black and white that you cannot that you do not have with color um mm. in particular so i and i was reading about the production um so for blood they would use for the blood scene in particular when there was blood dripping from the body upstairs they mm. used chocolate pudding yep <laughs> because it didn't matter it didn't matter it, they, yep. they all showed up the same uh on on black and white and uh, uh, that stuff like that is it's yeah, honestly like the constraints then uh, constraints breed creativity and this is a thing mm. that a lot of artists will say that there's for some reason no, some that's why so much good art comes out of new poor independent artists sometimes uh is mm. because they're they're forced to make something great with the little tools that they have um it's a punk really a punk ethos um you know expressing yourself beyond um your, your even your own capabilities your own talents like you have a a voice that that um transcends that and i think that's super that's what always appeals to me about more minimalist work. Uh, in film, I think it's hard to it can be hard to pull it off for a regular audience because you know the spec. A lot of people go to a movie to see spectacle, to see action, to see mm. um, you know something entertaining. Uh, so if you're too minimal, it is a boring movie. And uh, 
and I think that this is not a boring movie. This is a very engaging film. All three of these are very engaging. Um, and it's just amazing to me for how old, how the age of it and the, like all the con the subject matter in terms of, um, you know, the, the metaphors for Ray of race, uh, in, mm -hmm. in the first two movies, um, uh, they're just as relevant today as they've ever been. Uh, and I, I don't know, like if you really saw the, the, like the staying power of all this, even beyond the zombies, but so many, and I'll, I'm going to pass it back to you, but, uh, so many of these, uh, choices, narrative choices and character tropes. It's just like, these are, we're seeing how many tropes for the first time. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that other horror movies may have, uh, uh, like tangentially probably establish some of this stuff, but it's like this the putting it all together in this film that has created a new um created a new genre, created a new uh, a classic mythical monster that's right up there with Dracula and Frankenstein from and like mm -hmm. those are all from the 19th century. Um I don't know, something to you on there but well yeah what do you think about all that the the, the history of it and the whole, how it holds up just you know despite any of that uh as far as holding up like storytelling wise and all that it is it is, it is great i mean it, you've seen this uh same story told time and time again but this is you know this is the original of it um and it's better and, yeah <laughs> like it wasn't like that so i'm sorry i'm jumping right back on but i it's i remembered something i wanted to say the um well we've seen these things so many times and but it's not lame or boring sometimes i feel like when i've seen uh a trope established and i go back to the original thing and i'm like well i've seen this so many times so it doesn't really have an impact on me but this still has a weight sorry back to you okay um but yeah in the uh with the casting specifically you, you bringing up like rachel tones in the movie and, and the movies and such uh the this was a very big deal at the time for casting a um, a black man as the lead role, uh, which at the time I remember we learned about this in my film uh, studies class in college, uh, and it was like I don't want to use the word groundbreaking because I'm I don't know if there were films before it, but at least the way it was taught to us was that this was like a huge deal at the time because of the casting, because um, you hardly got to see it as often, especially in something as um like low budget or whatever you it would be considered taking a risk quote unquote I, um, I I looked into it and um he uh was not the first African American lead in a movie but he was yeah, I figured that much but he is the first African American lead in a horror film um and um and uh, so and that is super significant can you consider mm -hmm. that horror and sci-fi are one of the more um, uh, widely consumed genres. Dwayne Jones is the actor who plays Ben, the character Ben. Boy, it's a great performance. Um, oh, yeah, he's, he's the entire movie. He's the best uh, actor in the movie as well. Yeah. And not to belittle Barbara, she's just catatonic for half the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that we'll get to in a second. But uh, that, it, right alone, just ca the casting itself. But then with him in that role, it then changes the context of a lot of these scenarios. If Ben was white, arguing with this middle-aged white man who wants the, everyone to be in the base, over control of the group, the power mm. struggle of the group, it has completely different undertones when it's a black man, uh, a, you know, a young black man and a middle-aged white man 
Um, mm. And he's he's trying to talk down to him and tell him what to do. And he's like, no, I'm fucking in charge here. Um, it's just completely different context with that casting. And I read that that um, that George Romero just he casted him because he was he auditioned the best. Um, yeah. But so I don't think there's anything really written explicitly. I don't think there's any racial shits like any racial slurs said. The other two movies have racial the, slurs. This one does too. Towards the end of the movie, there's the N word in it. Um, I think does it's one of the bald guys say it. Or, yeah, I think I want. It was either the bald guy or it was whenever the cops were were. It wasn't uh, the, I don't think the cops the said it. No, because um, I, I think that would have been on the nose, and I would have noted that. Yeah, uh, but it, it must have been the said bald it, guy. I have it, I have it written down. Uh, the uh, use of racial slurs. Um, and every and every single one of those have it, but it's always just the at most asshole person in the movie is the one that's saying it. It's yeah, not, you know they usually I mean? they get killed. All they, yeah, they yeah. usually die. Whoever says a slur dies in these films. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's the uh, the opposite of the horror trope where if you have sex you die. This one you you just have to be a, a racist and you die. And and um and this like I said this movie is raw. Some of the supporting actors are not great and all the films but this mm. one is honestly the least camp of the three uh for sure uh which is interesting that he got more and i think it's probably a style of the 70s and 80s mm. versus now where maybe things are a bit more straight um with a horror film you know uh but th i think that's super interesting because i think that's what makes this one age so well is the lack of camp camp dates things like if it's oh, on sure. if it's on associated to like a specific style, um, like like it, it doesn't it, it it ties it to um eighties uh, and and cheesy shit and then and like I like camp and camp movies are work and I like the, all three of these movies so it's not mm -hmm. like it's not like but I, there's something about the gravity of when everyone's treating things playing things straight and how they actually would be versus you know acting like cartoon characters or something like that um which i will i will i have ex explicit reason why i use that phrase for later uh so yeah well, what do you think about that the 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 uh, like how the camp the lack of camp how it's played more straight i think it makes it age better. yeah i a hundred percent and i think a lot of that camp is more product of the 80s when you have like Fred, when you've got the freddy krueger movies and then the latter jason uh, or Friday the Thirteenth movies, um, you know, where there's Halloween like Freddy... was nineteen eighty, but there was no camp in that. I'm just trying <clears> to no, think of like uh, how they, camp gets incorporated. It just it's something that has come on throughout the eighties. I feel like because then you seventies uh, too though. Well, I mean, like if you go to the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, if you look at the earlier ones, Freddy Krueger is a lot less camp, but as he gets older, it just becomes more part of the genre. But and I, I feel think like that that's. Is just... I get what you're saying, and that's definitely a thing. But I think with with the Freddy Krueger films, it's like we've it's like we've exhausted what makes these films good. So now we need to make them, you know, we need to make them more ridiculous. Schlock. It's like schlock, you know, like. And I think the the Jason films are like that. But in and even but Halloween one and two or Halloween is not like that, and then slowly becomes one as well because it's like the money, you know, it's uh. Wasn't the first Halloween in the seventies? It's like nineteen eighty or seventy nine or eight. It's very. It's right around the turn of the decade. Um, I just looked into it recently because of the new one. But um, evil dies tonight. Nineteen seventy eight. Uh, uh, but yeah, I knew it was right around there. But uh, 
Oh, nice. But there's camp in even in the Dawn of the Dead, so I don't think that that like camp is in the seventies too. I think of like yeah, um, isn't uh, the early trauma films the late seventies? Uh, those are as camp it, as it those, gets. Those are yeah, super camp. That's I like all camp because uh, if you look at and this is kind of a an aside. And comedy like, like, is super com- camp in the seventies. Comedy yeah. is like all camp in the seventies. <clears throat> Yeah, it's like straight slapstick uh, for a while there. But what I was going to say was, if you look at, like, because um, this would have been, what, the Silver Age of comics where everything got a lot more, like, um, more, uh, you couldn't have vampires and you couldn't do certain things and everyone had to be, like, no one could die and all that stuff. And I wonder if that just it just became a, a product of just what, what became more censored and what became more popular and then it became more of uh What did? Whatever, because uh, horror movies in general and... Uh, tying into two like in this area this is when comics were also like dialing back when in the 70s um with what they were doing and not doing with like the comic book code stuff so i wonder if it was just like an era silver age is way before this silver age is way before this i thought that was 60s 70s bronze age is 70 to 84 Um, okay never mind but no you're right and like i was gonna bring this up as well because these three films get increasingly gory and uh this, the effects are better. That's part of it. But mm. I think also it's because of attitudes towards gore and nudity. There's nudity in all of them. Um, but I think the attitudes changed over time um, since the, the 60s and 50s and 40s. And as, it, it was like an erosion of the some of that censorship. Um, mm. And by the time you get to the 80s, you can blow people's heads off and and you know show their guts get ripped apart and it's not a big deal that's what i did think about these and uh but honestly there's something about the subtlety obviously the effects i would love the effects of the later films in the first film but this being like the, it's the, the restriction it's the constraint of not being able to show people getting torn apart and whatever and you have to like mm. make it work um I feel like things are a lot always creepier in your imagination than they are in the, like reality when it comes to this stuff. So like, and that's a tenant of horror. Like that's a Lovecraft tenant. Yeah. You know, you're the unspeakable, the undescribable. It's so scary you can't even describe it. Mm. Um, and that your imagination will always concoct something uh, more scary. But I think what, uh, so th- okay, this original, um. It establishes a lot of the, the basic things, the survival, we're surviving, we're trying to hold up in, in this house, um, we're trying to hold up in a, in a thing, in a place, um, and, um, and, and it, the first one's just a small group of people, and that's all it is. It's just like, how do these people, they're trapped here, how do they make it through, you know, through? And then the, the latter ones, it just the scope gets bigger, but the, it's mm. really essentially the same thing of uh a, a small group of people surviving in a different scenario um, yeah i think the, the latter ones is more just creating like world building of of how severe it actually is whereas in this first one you're still unsure uh of how is it just in this area is it something more widespread and then when they finally get the tv and stuff for their in the radio where they're getting the updates of what's going on they know it's more you know they're not crazy or whatever but um but this one ends I, I kind of in a way that it's because the way the police show up and I won't say the big yeah, thing. Yeah, let's yeah, but, let's not skip right to the ending until we're ready to talk about the ending. But uh well I just meant like um 
it it uh, it keeps it feeling small because of the handful of people. Yeah, um, yeah, walking around with with rifles. Um, the news, um, the news, all the ex. There's a lot of exposition that's delivered through news, and it's honestly in all three of them, or at least in, it's it's not a thing in the third one, but in this one in Dawn of the Dead, for some reason the news stuff was the parts I was most interested in because that's when you're getting all the world information, mm-hmm. and that's when you're like, what is happening outside of this? You know, I want to like you're tracking things breaking down. Um, and in how they're evolving, and um, at first the television or the radio, it's all hope. You know, if they're gonna tell us what to do, we're gonna go to the right place, so we're gonna get out of here. And in the first movie, that's what it is. Um, mm-hmm. it's just unfortunate the way things unfold. Um, they they you know, and, and this is uh, it's a theme all the way through the th- to the third one, but it's the people kind of humans the that are forced to survive together instead of cooperating. Um, will go at each, go against each other and antagonize and kill until they're all dead and they all die, uh, mm. until they're all dead and they fail. Um, and a lot, you know, you can talk about um the later, the later films, Day of the Dead in particular, like that is obvious. It's about it's more about the humans. The humans are the monsters. Um, but I think it's the yeah. same, it's the thing in all of them. All yeah, three I was going to say that. The the it's, whole uh, the real antagonist is humanity itself, not the zombies. The zombies are just a catalyst to ignite humanity as the enemy. And boy, and boy, do I see a parallel to something in the modern age that would oh requ- for sure that would require humanity's cooperation to defeat something <laughs> that's killing it. If there's oh, like man. if you. I it just that's the for, that's the genius of these movies, and I'm not, and I'm sure someone else has thought of this idea maybe before 1968. Oh yeah, this has been themes and and everything is all the way back to like you know old ancient Greek writings and stuff. Man and in the Bible, you know, man is always its own worst what's, enemy. Can you give me an example of a story can, like where people can't cooperate to defeat a a, a thing? Well, not that specifically, but just that's what like, I'm talking about. Um, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Gotcha. I, I was saying more like um, if you like the things like Sodom and Gomorrah, where they just get smited for just being awful, um, and just people, even if they know what the right thing to do is, they always end up just shooting themselves in the foot, essentially. Uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of similar. I don't like that as a parallel because Sodom and Gomorrah is you know people like dissociate with with sex um, uh, just the first smiting thing i could think of uh, well it's not a smiting thing it's not it hasn't have anything to do with god even though i think they bring up god in the in, a, in one of them um like this is or whatever we'll get to that but uh i think it's like more so that um um you know like like it's nature it's a force of nature it's something that's mm. happening it's a disease i think that yeah, the disease parallel is the easiest one to see um mm. that if you know we uh, if all you have to do is get vaccinated and wear a mask. Oh, they're even talking about working on vaccines and some of these things. Mm. And it's like, all you got to do is do this and it'll go away. And, you know, everybody doubts it and nobody listens. And uh, the eventually humanity is torn apart and, die- and is eradicated because of they wouldn't listen to scientists or science. And I, I'm getting off track because that's not as much of a thing in the first movie. But uh, but it sows those seeds um, with the very with the ending of the original film. 
Mm. And I think we, I think we can talk about the. Well, before we talk about the ending, um, is there any? There was a couple things I noticed. Um, other than the cast, some of the supporting cast, I've, there was a, a a female character, um, not Barbara. Um, she the, the girlfriend, the wife, the girlfriend. No, 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 not uh, younger, Helen. Not Helen. Guys. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, what is her name? Um, what's the younger guy's name? Uh, honestly, don't remember. We should have like... we should have these wikis up already, um, so we don't have to look things up. Uh, there's Tom, Tom and, and Judy. Judy, Tom and Judy. Um, Judy was not good. Uh, her character, well, here's my biggest gripe of the whole trilogy. Female characters are written terribly. That's one of the biggest gripes with it all. <clears throat> uh, Barbara is catatonic. She gets punched in the face, uh, at one by, uh, our hero. Yeah, I, I had it written down. Oh, the sixties when medicine was distributed by fist. Um, uh, yeah, punches her in the face because she's hysterical, um, and uh, and she doesn't talk for how she's just crazy. The women are irrational and crazy in the first movie. They're they're just so hysterical they can't handle the apocalypse. Helen is the one who's the most with it, but she is convincing herself that her daughter is not a zombie, and that uh, which uh, which um. Uh, Ben is totally he's like asking the questions but he doesn't care about them so he's just like you know what fuck it like do whatever you want down there I'm not getting involved they had all kinds of supplies down there they had weapons mm -hmm. down there but they just weren't getting used because Ben was just like I'm not dealing with it you guys can just control the basement yeah the uh, yeah her her essential thing the whole movie was just dunking on uh her husband rightfully so because he was he was being an ass the whole movie um and then just getting him riled up and then it's just uh her husband and ben uh going at it the entire time but i was gonna say what really struck me as the first like oh this is horror movie logic and uh was when uh judy runs out of the house to just say i'm going to and run into the that truck is, yeah that's what <laughs> didn't make any sense it didn't make any <clears throat> sense and got them all and killed then, and then, yeah, just light the fire. The dude pulls the gas out, goes to fill up the truck, immediately lights on fire. There you hear the line uh, from Ben off screen of just, oh, don't hold it by the torch. And then immediately ignites. And then they all stay in the car and yep, blow it's, up with uh, it. Yes, that is not one of the best parts of the movie. <laughs> Harry is the name of the bald guy, also. Um, the husband's names Harry and Helen. Harry, Helen, Tom, Judy, Ben, and Barbara. Um,. And, yeah and um oh the, the there was a really horrible cut in the basement it was with helen and harry are talking and and it's just like they're in the middle of talking and then there's this really awkward cut and they it's like right you you didn't see this uh i don't think i really when it comes to these old movies stuff like that like it doesn't really bother me too much like there's a part where barbara's on the phone and there's just zero sound from her but she's looking like she's talking and weeping and all you hear is just like the rotary sounds um and i just took it as like oh it must have just been like a mistake or an editing thing no but like it was it was bad like it was like there was like a pause and they were talking and then there was this weird pause and then it cut to the, the same sh like the same shot, but it was a cut and then they're, they're slightly moved. Uh, but, uh, oh, okay. I think I know what you're talking about, but 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a budget of its time. Like, so I feel like I can't knock it too much, but yeah, it definitely. It's like a bad edit. I literally, mean, they must yeah. have, they must have literally had nothing else they could have did. Like yeah, that's, for sure. that's what I'm saying. Um, there's just stuff like that, that like, honestly, that was the only moment in the movie where I was like, okay, this is, uh, and then this is a independent, almost student film. Uh, you know, it does have that, like, that was the only moment where I was like, okay, this, I get it. This is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it feels like, I don't even notice that it's low budget really. I mean the makeup, but it's so old. I wouldn't even notice that. No, no. I mean, just the if you. I mean, the story taking place in one place, but you'd have to be a film person to really recognize that that well, is. Well, that I mean, low budget. There's plenty of movies today that are <laughs> at one place, or or but still cost millions of dollars. I mean, no inflation, but um, it's like beyond. I don't know. Like, there seems like there's a lot of community. Um, like the, the the Pittsburgh area seemed to really want to help them do this. Um, mm. new, the news people involved were actual Pittsburgh area TV people. Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Billy Cardell apparently was a Channel 11 news reporter and played himself on uh, for the news reports. Wow. That's um, super dope. Uh, what I was going to say was uh, about the... Uh, and this is kind of the the first step of kind of I want to talk about George A. Romero's style of shooting these is uh, and I think it's uh, very great, but it, but I think it's part of the detriment of the second film uh, is just how he follows uh, how he handles pacing and time with the action sequences uh, because they I feel like it not holds meaning like a, like one take held a while, but you go through every little intricate thing. They re- he lets them wrestle for very long time. And this movie being only ninety minutes, you don't really notice. It doesn't it matter as much. in this one. Yeah, um, yeah but it, it, you just see it. This is where it starts on how he how he shoots his action and how he shoots his. Well, we're gonna talk about how film. he shoots in Dawn of the Dead because that's <laughs> the best place to talk about his style uh, because mm. it is the most indulgent of the three in terms of how it is shot. Not in the, like lighting mm. or budget. It, but in terms of how apparently all right I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll get to it but let's talk about the ending and the end so like i said the newsreels are so fucking cool they're cool the whole time and you've been you there's a sequence where we find out that the police have you know put some posses together of local people with guns and they're just walking around shooting and they they bring that back in the next one but uh and um you know it seems like they have it under control and it's just like it's only a matter of time before they make it through to your area and uh whatever so by the end of the film everyone dies <laughs> except for ben um <clears throat> honestly don't yeah, even like, yeah yeah because barbara went crazy and walked into the zombies and uh helen got eaten by her daughter harry got killed by uh ben or no, no, Harry didn't get no, killed. No, Harry, Harry got killed by the zombies as well. So yes, Barbara, yes. Her, Barbara's brother as a zombie made it broken through the window in the house. And that's what made her go, oh, it's No, John. I know. And he walked out and she walked out. That's what I was just saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, she she like grabbed her and pulled him out. Yeah, she like, yeah, then, yeah. But Harry but went like, down to the basement. And that's where he died. He died in the basement. <clears throat> he didn't die the, upstairs. Uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, uh, yeah. Well, no, because I'm thinking he took the gun and then he was going to shoot Ben. Uh, ben shot him and he fell down the stairs. Yes. Okay. That was it. I was, about to, I was uh, trying to remember where he landed. 
Um, all right. But everybody else just gets dragged out through the windows and stuff. And then so yeah, everybody's dead. Too. Everybody's dead. Okay. <laughs> and um, Ben is the only one alive. And he hears gunshots and dogs barking upstairs. And um, so he heads upstairs, but he's very he, he's very quiet, and he's trying not to reveal himself. But apparently, the posse sees him in the in inside the house, and one of them shoots him before Ben can um, signify that he is a human being. And it speaks not. I mean, it's an awesome ending. Period. A fucking mm. great ending. And but not only is it interesting, even if it, just for any character being shot at the end of the film, but because he's a black man um, being shot by white police posse, like there is way more going on to that. You know, like um, it's like they didn't even they barely even checked. They didn't even know. They just saw, mm -hmm. you know, a man in the window and they shot him um, without you know looking into it or anything. And then like the stills afterwards, right before the credits where they have meat hooks. And, they're mm -hmm. pulling, they're, they're, and you just see him like go to pull his body out um and it's just it's rough and um there's definitely some things going on uh there speaking to the black experience i personally read um out of all that and i think it, it would be less it, it, it i think he just he doubled he doubles down on a lot of that stuff in the the second one so um mm. i really think that's what it's it's going for what did you think about the yeah. ending I honestly, it's great because it's one of those like it's you know back then especially this is not done as much. It was one of those just you've invested your entire movie into caring about this guy. He's the one you made it through with him as an audience member. You know he's it's it's like you and him, and then only to just be cut down by the one thing that's supposed to help him. And you know it's not in the fact that it's not even a zombie or anything, but it is people. Um, it just goes, yeah. You know, I feel like that just plays on so many levels of of what it's trying to uh, trying to say. Um, but also at the same time, it's uh, it's I don't want to put it. It's uh, it's just like because it's like shocking, but it's not at the same. Like I expect everyone to die in these kind of movies, and they did. But it's just like shocking in the way that it does happen. Yeah, uh, and he I, wasn't. I really it wasn't like, a monster that killed him. It was ultimately yeah. a human. It was ultimately humans, and that was definitely part of the the themes for sure. I think I, I like I said. I think a lot of these themes still work, but putting a black man in the lead just mm. amplifies the power. I think of them. Um, yeah and for sure it's a super super uh ahead of its time um for sure all right well i think that's everything i want to say about night of the living dead do you have anything else you want to bring up uh no i think we pretty much covered all the important stuff well what are you scoring it uh i'm gonna give this one a four because it is solidly an awesome movie um you know it has its flaws and, and everything but for pioneer, pioneering the zombie subgenre of horror and just kind of pioneering into horror as a, uh, in itself i think a, a four is definitely i definitely. i don't know i could honestly i it's almost it's almost perfect it's but like like we talked about the raw the rawness and the production and some elements i think it just bumps it down to a, a i mean i guess it's the smallness of it that I guess uh, I've uh, I've been struggling between four and four and a half, and mm. um, I think it's honestly the the best of the three, um, in terms of a film, mm. in terms of a film, not 
And I think you can argue for the second one. But I think in terms of a film, um, and especially because it's nice, 90 minutes, it's it's just a really easy watch. Uh, I think I want to give it a four and a half. I don't know. I feel like I could change it to a four. Um, but I'm going to give it a four and a half. Hey, I, th- hey, I think either one of those is definitely, it's worthy of any of them. Four and above. Ah, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I agree. And all right, let's move on. We've we've had our night. We've stuck it out through the night, but now the dawn comes. <laughs> what oh, What man. did you think about um, Dawn of the Dead? Now, before I actually throw you that question, let's let's touch base on a couple facts. This film was released in 1978 originally in Italy did not release in the United States until 1979. Oh. Um, so you may be wondering why did Mr. Romero wait a decade to make the follow-up? Do you, do you, do you know off the top of your head? I don't know. I'm going to tell you. So okay. apparently he wanted to not do any further horror movies cause he did not want to be typecast. Um, or, you know, as many people try to avoid, uh, uh, in their careers. And, um, apparently, um, Dario Argento, um, reached out to him and, uh, and about, uh, financing a film and, uh, wanting them to do a horror film. And so Dario Argento, who's also a legendary film director who I hope to do on this podcast someday, um, I think he's known for Suspiria, isn't he? I don't know. Oh, I've never seen Suspiria. You should know that. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so Italians evolved. The, the score was originally done by Goblin, um, a, a synth band from the a Prague synth band um, that was heavily involved in the Suspiria soundtrack. And yes, Dario is the director of Suspiria, um, which you need to see then. Now that you've declared it for the world, um, yeah, but, I'm making it up. There's a lot of stuff I haven't. So seen this yet. this is still an independent film. Um, he did he did uh, Hollywood films, George Romero after Night of the Living Dead, but none of them really were you know really six you know huge successes. Um, and then this was uh, you know an indie um, produ- you know financed thing and uh, the budget of this was also very small the budget of the original was 117 grand you want to know what the budget for dawn was uh, i'm gonna say 500,000. 640 grand jesus i thought this was at least a million because this there's they... a lot of shit in it there yeah, is a this ton is of huge shit. In the production scale versus the grand, the it's this movie is much more grand in production than the third movie which is millions of mm-hmm. dollars um, yeah. the, it, um, so I looked into this as well. Um, in the mall itself, uh, George knew, knew, knew uh, I can't talk, th- knows the guy uh, who's <laughs> one of the people involved with uh, putting the, the mall together, and Mark Mason of Oxford Development Company back in 1974, who was an acquaintance from uh, his alma mater, Carnegie Mellon University. Oh. And uh, it, it's just interesting. Pittsburgh really loves it when Pittsburgh is doing something big. And oh, for sure. Pittsburgh will, like, will sometimes be willing to help for fame. And, and they will, <laughs> they will you know, break down some of those cost barriers. And I think that's what we have, that's what we have here. 
Um, and uh, I think that's super, super interesting and why the mall is ultimately the uh, focal point of the film. Uh, apparently, they had to film this during off hours of the mall. So, you know, when the mall was closed, they'd film all night until the 7 a.m. automatic music that would come on in the morning. But then after, you know, they'd film and then they have to put everything back the way that it was. Um, wow. And apparently they, they they had through Christmas, they were debating on like, oh, we'll have to break down. All, we have to take down all the Christmas stuff and put it up every day or every night. Mm-hmm. And they decided not to do that. And they just took a break on filming. Super interesting. The production of this film is fascinating. Um, and um, this is film in general. Uh, the mall, as much as it's been, what, 50 years since this movie, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. yeah uh, f- 40 years. Um, the mall has some elements that are exactly the same. From the outside, it does look the same. Um, mm-hmm. you, there was a shot of the one plaza where the Guitar Center and Mr. Nice Guys, the card shop is. Yeah, yeah. And I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that's the Guitar Center! And... <laughs> Yeah, seeing that entrance to the Monroeville Mall from that road in in the film a couple times is definitely like all right, like that in the parking lot in general. Just any shot of the parking lot, you feel like you've just oh, I parked there. Oh, I literally know this. Um, no. And I mean, even when they're flying over all like the the they they kept calling it around Johnstown, but it honestly looked like anywhere from the in the boons like not in the towns around here i, I love like, that they refer to the people of johnstown as hicks that i thought that was funny <laughs> yeah I, well if you're from philadelphia you know yeah um, yeah but uh but yeah though so i guess we can go into the movie i just wanted to give a quick production facts but the the beginning of this film <laughs> is my favorite part of the movie it's a little rough it's honestly one of the more rough parts of the movie, but it's so interesting to see how society's progressing and like we get it from the news and then we get it from the police. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, we kind of move on from there and then we're getting the helicopter observing the people in the, uh, in the, uh, the sticks, uh, quote unquote. Um, and it's super fascinating to watch society breaking down. I, like I said, the, in the last movie, the news things were some of my favorite and the news things in this one made me like uncomfortable the whole beginning sequence made me on edge like i was anxious through the beginning just thinking about society turning on each other and uh and you know every every man woman for themselves and um and just see that we're it's very i feel like there's very few uh, movies, zombie movies, or post-apocalyptic movies that show that really dwell on the transition from normal to apocalypse. Like you know, like they mm-hmm. might do it briefly, and you see a bunch of running, and it's some frantic action escape scenes, and then things calm down. But we kind of saw it slowly happening, and I just thought that was so interesting. Like I could watch a whole movie of this. Yeah, the whole opening of this movie perfectly captures, like, the chaos that would ensue as, like, things were slowly breaking down. Because you've got, like, it's a, it's like a talk show type of thing, it seems like. Um, and then you've got the a doctor on there who's essentially telling, these are the things we need to do if we want to survive. And everyone's freaking and then, out. Like, they don't like, want to listen. Uh, all the crew of, the, like, working in there are just not giving a fuck about their job and just screaming at this guy. Um, and then you've got uh, our... our uh, 
characters. Uh, she shuts off. Fran. Uh, uh, yeah, Fran, who looks like D from It's Always Sunny. Uh, to me, at least. Uh, and you have her it. just shutting shutting down the feed. Um, and then her man is just like, there's a chopper on the roof, and everybody's just seems to be like, all right, it's it's fucking. Everyone's gonna run. Everyone's, but no one really has a plan. And, oh, you just it, the sense of chaos is just so well. There's just nonstop talking over people talking over each other for the first like 15 minutes of the movie, um, and I, I I love it. I I it really just you feel the scale since the first one right from the get go. You know, um, and that's when a lot of it when you start feeling that style. Like this is definitely a very long movie, but man, does it have. I know you and I like to talk about style, but this has style to me that i really like there's a lot of different things in this that i really like and which how the way it was shot and see how I, it was, so uh cut and stuff sorry i was just gonna say uh so that so george romero is not what anyone would call a like a fancy film director you know there's not gonna be wow like complex camera work or lighting or or any of that really this the lighting in this film is all fluorescent um like heavily lit um uh stuff like it's pretty simple camera work but what is what his style is with this film in particular is very uh improvisational and i um saw some things that were, that were referencing like in the 70s there were so many filmmakers and all they would do is just shoot as much as possible and then they go to the editing room and they edit a film out of that um mm. and that's apparently what george romero's style is is that he would just shoot a million directions, uh, like a, man, a million angles of the same thing, and uh, just get a ton and ton and ton of film, of footage, and then edit that down into a co more coherent narrative. So I think that's what you're seeing with the, the particularly once the bikers come in to the film, mm. um, you really see that. All the action with the bikers, it's all cut. It's all from a bunch of different angles. It's like, it feel, it's like, it, it, it's not that it's not cohesive. It's just, um, it feels chaotic. Um, and it mm. has a different film feel than like a scripted choreographed shot action sequence, you know, from specific yeah. plan, everything's planned. To be that way it reminded me of pink flamingos <laughs> yeah yeah definitely um the i i mean that just for because that the biker stuff is so chaotic and i feel the way having that shooting style definitely uh sells that chaos for me and uh, what i was going to say was uh, the big part of a style which which i like on this and while it's a little more gratuitous on this movie specifically is the the pacing of this being how he d makes things longer and such, it definitely feels like a real, um, like a real passage of time. It feels real time, even though it's not obviously. Like the the whole sequence from the the t TV station in the beginning up to the helicopter, like flying over Johnstown, it it felt to me just like it had the uh, like the, obviously it didn't take this long. There were time skips, but it just felt like this all was happening in real time, and you were just like just with them on the edge of just like where are they going what's going to happen and everything and then when things slow down he lets it slow down but he also you know keeps there's a lot of b-roll and a lot of just side things happening in the slowdown in like the second act of this movie um but it also adds to the monotony of just kind of being trapped in one spot and not being able to really do much and, and then also just trying to find uh time like i love the scene uh where um 
Fran and uh, Flyboy, uh, Stephen Andrews, are uh, they have like their own little bedroom with a little lamp and books that are bookmarked and everything, and it's just kind of like and it looks um, like a hotel room, or it looks like a bedroom. Yeah. By the end of the film, their little hideout is fully furnished, and it looks like an apartment. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, yeah, I wanted I wasn't I wanted to cont- talk a little bit more about the intro because you don't you, I always associate with this mall being the majority of the film and it it is the majority of the film but they don't get there until about a half hour in. Um, yeah, because it's a long f- movie. The first fifteen minutes is all the the TV station and the police sequence, and then and then you have uh, probably honestly that's probably the first twenty minutes, and then the next ten is. Um, the flying and then they have the, i guess actually it might even be longer than that because then they have the scene at the air the uh private airfield where they all get it they get attacked um but oh, that, uh, that scene introducing the cops breaking into that uh what seems like an apartment building and you have project. sergeant Ra- yeah and sergeant racism just shooting everyone so that's what I, was, I wanted to talk about that's what i wanted to talk about um that's Man, just that kidding um so the so in the very beginning, you hear some stuff on the TV of they are martial law. People are no longer allowed to live in their in private homes, and you have to for you have to give all of your dead over to the national guard so that they can be you know dealt with. And so I was having a hard. To, I always I never understood what was going on and with the police part. I was like, are they just showing us like police trying to fight the zombies before um, things fully break down? But because like. But this time it's like no, they're not there to kill zombies. They're there to kill people, <laughs> um, and uh, they make it clear that the project is you know fill, uh, predominantly inhabited by people of color. And um, boy, is there a really egregious person with uh, brown face on the on the very in the very beginning? Uh, Martinez, they're like Martinez, you come out here, and yeah. it's just a white guy with brown face with a terrible wig. <laughs> um, uh, it's bad and yeah. um they uh so then they go and storm the building and they're like getting people out of the the apartment but then the, the one there's apparently an officer named Wooly, and he just has a shotgun and a revolver and he just breaking down doors and blowing people's heads off and he's he establishes that he's racist beforehand it's just like whoa like what is this guy doing <laughs> and uh they kill him and everything and it's just i guess supposed to illustrate that the you know, the cops are starting to lose lose it, and some of them are getting crazy and killing people. One of the co- I wanted to ask you, there was the cop who killed himself in the yeah. beginning for no reason. <laughs> he did not get bit. <laughs> he just wrestled with a zombie, killed the zombie, laid there on the floor, and just like you know what, I'm killing myself. Oh, I didn't think he killed the zombie. I thought that they were still crawling at him. No, and- there was a shot him blowing the zombie's head off. He like because there was there was Roger one, or one of our characters a black yeah. police officer and a white police officer and a black and a backwards hat and the backwards hat one had the shotgun and he kept trying to cock it and it wasn't shooting and then yeah. the then he got knocked over and well he pulled out a revolver and blew that zombie's head off and he didn't get bit so I was just like why did he kill himself I it's bothering me to this moment why did he kill himself I googled about it and everything because the plot I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know. I, well, I, there's so there's a moment later, and I guess George Romero was asked about why he did a couple things in the mall, and he just like because we could, 
so there there might be a little bit of that in this movie. But yeah. man, watching the police, like the chaos of the police, and then they started getting overrun by zombies. And for some reason, nobody seemed to, like after all the zombies took out a shitload of cops and National Guard, the cops are still just like slowly removing zombies and stuff it's just like a really weird vibe and i don't understand what's going on like i do but it's like the chaos and um and then then our peter and roger just have a casual conversation like you want to get out of here and he's like yeah and then they just leave <laughs> yeah like, they um the guy from the national guard just like checks in on him from a different good? door it's like everything all right in here and just sees like 20 dead bodies on the ground it's just like holy shit well, well, all right then, and then leaves. <laughs> I just yeah, and um, and maybe this is just like uh, the beginnings of what is much more elaborated on in the third film about um the breaking down of like people doing their jobs, soldiers, police, scientists, whatever have you. In a crisis, mm. these are emergency personnel, and if they aren't willing to do their jobs, then we literally have nothing. There's nothing holding us back from you know the the madness um but and I, so the there one quick thing before we move on to the mall part but in the tv studio did you notice that they had they had what's going on cory uh, my phone just randomly just started playing noise that was weird i keep it on silent over there anyways sorry um um I don't remember. What was I saying? Uh, you said there's some specifically in the beginning before they got to the mall that you uh, wanted to bring up. Okay, okay. All right, well, let me find a natural place to start this. Okay, so there was one other thing I wanted to bring up, and uh, just about the intro. I know we've been staying on a long, uh, a long time, but I think it's, uh, it is my favorite part of the movie. The TV station, the cameras all have pieces of paper taped to them with the TV station's name and the TV station is stenciled it's not even printed it is stenciled on to it says WGON TV and just like was that really necessary cuz it is immersion it is more immersion breaking to have the pieces of paper uh fucking scotch tape taped to the cameras than it would be to just shoot with the cameras I honestly, I wonder if it was a licensing thing where they had to cover up the the logos of the branding of the camera, and then that was just a quick fix on the day. Well, like, I get like local news has those little boxes they put around, like especially in the day that like, they put with the logos around everything and mm -hmm. whatever. But uh, yeah, it was just a funny, funny little thing. Didn't bother me, but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just like a last minute somebody brought it up and it was oh shit. Uh, all right, well we're already all here and we can't push this, so. You know, let's just do it. Tape it. You know, put a piece of paper over it. Um, quick fix. Uh, but just and like the whole flying over sequence, it's established that a lot of the people in the sticks are kind of. Like, it showed a lot of those posse's from the first hmm. movie, and they were like gathering together to kill zombies and whatever. But it seemed to be going well for them, and it it's just like they they seem to focus on the population centers. That cities were fucked. Um, but the further mm -hmm. away you got away from cities, the better it was. Um, they ended up in being in Monroeville, which is, um, it's not, it's not, uh, I would consider probably a suburb, but it is a much more populated suburb versus, um, you know, what you might think of as a suburb, uh, just cause there's a lot of, sh a lot of, uh, shopping. It's a big shopping district. Yeah. 
Um, I imagine even back then in the 70s, too, it would have been pretty decently populated. It was a brand new um, mall. It was a brand new yeah. mall. The, um, um, they had to put it there um, for a reason. About the, the Johnstown Hunters, uh, I thought it was interesting, a little detail, and I don't know if it was intended to or not, but every single one of the Hunters uh, has their Hunters license uh, on them, like either on their hat or on their vest. Oh, uh, the yeah, jacket. they were wearing orange and stuff. <clears throat> I noticed that, so, too. I wonder if it was like if you have a license to hunt, that means you're like good enough with a weapon. So come uh, on out. Yeah, yeah, that was probably <clears throat> maybe the criteria for having people come out. Because if you just let everyone with a gun come out, you could get people killing accidentally killing each other. No, for sure. Uh, but I thought it was a cool detail. Um, and uh, but yeah, then after that we just go into the mall, uh, which is man, do they do a lot? Uh, spend a lot of time of just shots of the parking lot before the helicopter lands uh, well it's like uh let's just show and all the zombie like all the people uh, like walking yeah. through the parking lots and um just like the the big uh emptiness of it um yeah uh, the mall it, it's pretty wild seeing the mall just because we know the mall but um you know one, once they get in and it, it's it's pretty pretty crazy um seeing that but the mall itself and just like how it's used, it's like uh, the way they talk about how like oh they they this place was special to to people and they they came back here after they died. Like it's totally a commentary on capitalism, and <laughs> and and how like we're zombies to to consume and buy and purchase things. And you know the the mall was a important place to us during our lives as a place where we could spend as just a place to just spend money um yeah so it's like um consuming and the day in the living is with money and then consuming beyond is just flesh oh and even the intro with the the projects those police were trying to evict uh, evacuate people from that building against their wills essentially uh, gentrification you know that's what it is (laughs) is people being for uh, people from uh you know, predominantly, uh, maybe as I say, African American communities, lower class communities that um, that are forced out uh, by by police or by um, construction or what have you, and uh, and there was a definitely um, uh, a parallel with that for sure. Um, and then even even with the like the the people's customs and like you know the the, the dead they still respect their dead and stuff like that. It's just just real interesting to think about. Like, oh, why are the why aren't these people just listening? Why aren't they just following and doing what they're supposed to do? And it's mm-hmm. like some compassion for that perspective as well. Um, I thought it was super interesting. Um, it's like as much as as raw these movies are and, and at their base, uh, you know, gore and murder. Uh, there's just so much political and social commentary in all three of them. Yeah, they. I feel like uh, George Romero is very good at uh, subtext. Um, you know, without things being at least from these three movies, just nothing is uh, deliberately in your face with anything. I felt. Um, it's more just keen. Seems to be just like if you picked up on it, you got it, and if not, you know, it does. It's not breaking. It's not too too on the nose or anything. It, it's still. It doesn't take away from the film. And I way. think the third one's the most on the nose of the three. <clears throat> um with its themes um not necessarily whatever uh, it's got its own thing going but uh mm. but this one 
um, with the yeah with the capitalism and in the uh, in the opening sequence, like I said, at the projects. Um, there's just a lot that's interesting. Oh, and even the biker gang, you got to remember in the seventies, um, the hell's angels were considered a fucking, like a serious gang. Like they Mm. were a a national gang that people considered, like they were afraid of, um, in the consciousness. And so using them here is definitely like, a. Uh, some kind of of social commentary i think as well that they survive you know past the police mm-hmm. past the government whatever um it's almost like it's almost like uh like, like a nomadic tribe instead of on horses they're on motorcycles hogs and there's a lot of them there was a lot of them too yeah yeah they, he made the one um the one guy uh what's his name uh peter he says there's like oh there's like fifteen to twenty of them out there, and then when they get inside the mall, there's like fifty. Uh, there's a whole caravan of motherfuckers that come in. But um, but getting to the mall, what I wanted to talk about is I wanted to ask you how did you feel about the pacing once it gets to the mall? Because for me, once they're in the mall until the bikers come, it kind of slowly. The longer we're there, the more I kind of feel like I'm dragging and just kind of feel. I didn't like, think it dragged um, at all. Oh, I felt like they just spent too much time just uh, just doing the stuff in between them all where they're just like, all right, we're going to because it starts off with Peter and um, Roger uh, going into go get supplies or ransack the place for money or whatever they the uh, Roger brings up. But I feel like that scene just took a long time and just blended in with uh, it was hard to keep track of, of how much time was actually passing at that point when it got to how many times they went in and out uh, of, I don't know. From- yeah. You keep talking about time <laughs> passing, but like, I don't think it matters like days and weeks pass in the movie. Oh, so it's this, it's uh, you got to give the audience like a sense of just without knowing a sense of time. It's hard for the audience to gauge like how much of a struggle is happening or how much, uh, I mean, they, whatever they're there's multiple scenes where they're eating and changing clothes and, um, <clears throat> yeah, there, there's multiple projects that take over days. Like definitely it seems to be like days pass. It's night and day. Like there's day and night cycles. Uh, no, for sure. But I, what I'm just saying about in the in the middle mall part, I just feel like it it drags on a little too long, um, with that kind of because uh, uh, in combination of you're not knowing, of, like really because uh, of how much time is actually elapsing, it just kind of feels like a long thing that's just happening over the course of like a couple nights. Um, obviously you've got cool things where like they're, they're building up the wall to kind of, well, like, like they the decide that they're going to be there. Per- they decided they're going to be there long-term. Like they established yeah. that they're going to be there long-term. So that's why they're d- doing all these projects. Like that's no, what I it is it. for the middle of the film is them trying to make the place fully secure with, you know, they, they're putting the trucks in front of the things and then they have to yeah, kill, yeah, kill sure. all the zombies inside of the place. And then after they do that, they get to finally enjoy them all. So we have, a, you know, the sequences of them, um, you know, using the different stores and, uh, and the haircut and the, they have a dinner and everything. And yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, like it progresses. But- and then obviously Roger is dying halfway through because um, he gets bit during the trucks thing. Um, like I, I just like, Without knowing that there is the biker, because I kept waiting for the biker part, but without knowing that, I feel like the movie could have even ended earlier. It's just the the 
the mm. biker thing then added on another half hour to the end of the movie. I guess um, that's what I'm trying to say because, like, the being a two hour and twenty minute movie, it, it just this is where oh, it, you watch these. Long, that's like, not the right cut. The original cut is two hours and seven minutes. Did you watch oh, the extended? I, I that's the one I found. It just said Dawn of the Dead. I didn't say anything about extended, but it was two hours and twenty minutes. Yeah, that's the, the that's not the real cut. Oh, that makes yeah, that makes sense of why the the middle act felt super long for me. Yeah, that sucks. Um, so, um, as far as the score, the original score, um, Dario Argento wanted Goblin to do the whole score, um, but apparently Romero uh, only uses them sparingly. Um, that uh, much of his cut favors stock cues, um, just from you know library stuff. Like, and, and but honest and honestly. It didn't bother me with the mall music, but in the very end of the film, and I'm not going to spoil the end just yet, but the, the heroic music starts playing, and it is so bad and and just so fucking bad. Mm-hmm. Like, he's trying to fight his way out and get to the chopper, and it's just the worst music playing, and I'm just like, no! And like knowing that I know how it came to be, it's like, why didn't he go with the Goblin soundtrack? Goblin is fire, and it's one of the best things about um, Argento movies. Um, it's, yeah, it's just interesting. You're interesting. There's a lot of um, music things in in this one and the next one that I uh, like. I score. I do. I, uh, this one, the mall music, kind of you know, which I imagine it's supposed to be get on your nerves a little bit because it's supposed that's what the characters well, yeah, are supposed hearing twenty four seven. But the but uh, outside of that, I very much like the the noises and, and such for the instruments that are used with it, um, especially on the, the the next one, which has the sample that's in the Gorillaz song. Um, I was going to ask, so how did you feel about uh, when Roger in the trucks, when the, they're moving all the trucks to block the entrances? And uh, the, I wanted to, I had written down uh, Roger's wild acting um because he just starts he's just on one from the time he gets uh the blood sprayed on him and then he's like secretly bitten it's been uh, uh it wasn't secretly bitten um it was everyone knew he was bit uh and he started it was already established a little earlier it's like every time that they would in, interact with the zombies he was getting like more and more con- he was like, really confident in the beginning if you remember when um mm. steven is trying to shoot at uh, a zombie and he like smacks his gun out of the way multiple times and then sh- one shots them um and then once they get into the mall uh they have the the multiple you know like the, the the long sequence that you were referring to earlier about when they first get the supplies and establish the like secure the uh the hideout and all that mm-hmm. and um so like he was like increasingly getting more and more confident, and then he's like whooping and hollering, and and then by that point it's like the first truck thing was successful, and he was like acting more reckless, and then then he almost dies, and he just gets all like adrenalined up and starts acting even more reckless, and then it's to the point where um where Peter has to be like, yo, chill the fuck out, or you're gonna get somebody killed, and then it happens anyways, um. So like I I agree that it probably could have been handled a little bit with a little more nuance or a little more gra- like uh, a bit more gradual but uh but I I didn't have an issue with it. I thought uh it made sense considering the situation that they're all in. Um and he's just uh, getting more and more um like like the adrenaline and the the recklessness mm-hmm. and the confidence from, you know, succeeding like murdering so many of these things. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I just felt like it was a little sprinkling in of the camp uh, for for just like the over the topness when he first gets in there and he's yelling about how he forgot his bag and stuff. And I didn't think like, it was Peter campy. I think him. he was just. Um, I think he. I don't think he was campy. I think he's just like emotional and um, and fired up to like to do this because it's like a life threatening thing and. Um, yeah, it's just read a little over the top for me um, as far as the performance went, but. The uh, but I do enjoy that whole sequence though. Um, whether it's all like the coordination and everything, and trying to get the uh, the trucks and everything up, and then you've got the uh, uh, what Fran on the on the roof and everything, uh, is really cool. Just the I there's so many cool things that happen in this movie, um, the in order that are just I just feel like they have these um, a, a good like peaks and valleys that can happen out of it. Um, once they get like their whole thing established before it like kind of settles down and they make their like apartment hideout and stuff um, until the bikers come in. But the, the bikers, uh, I don't know. What do you the, mean? Peaks and valleys. Uh, what you got to elaborate there. Oh, just kind of like, there's a lot of things going on and then there's, then there's, it's quiet and there's not a lot. And there's a lot of things and those happen kind of fairly quickly until uh, I feel like once they're locked down and then things kind of like, somber out for a little bit there's like events um, there's like they we yeah. have to do this so then we have to do this then we have to do this and then we finally get to relax and when they finally get to relax is when the the bikers, bikers show up yeah um the how do you feel like that was handled with uh with the bikers i felt like that was because I, I like i get why they wanted to hide and everything uh from the bikers and just kind of like we'll just wait for them to go and and uh, Stephen Flyboy Andrews uh, fucks that up, um, but I just feel like the so um so where we are basically is um they take control of the mall um and then they start like kind of enjoying themselves and and finally having the mall uh, taken over um, like all the stuff they can go on dates and whatnot. Um, and then, um, we have a scene where they acknowledge that the government emergency broadcasts have stopped. Um, and they, the last one we get is like really weird. Um, and it's just like this one, this expert guy who they've been referring to this whole time. And, and now it's devolved to like how it was in the beginning where everyone's just kind of arguing with him and he's trying to tell everyone to be logical and, mm-hmm. and they're not listening. Um, and then that kind of instill like reminds everybody that there's like no hope and, you know, they were kind of been having a, it's been a more positive lately. Um, but, um, you know, ultimately you know, this is it, you know, this is what we got. Um, and that is when, uh, the bikers show. So the bikers find out about the place because they see the, the helicopter landing when, when, Steven uh, trains Fran on how to fly it. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, what uh, what do you what do you think about what do you think of the bikers? Because I feel like that's when the the movie takes a turn. Uh the the biker situation was kind of interesting because like you're you're kind of let on in the beginning that uh because you only see like a small truck full of people all gathered around a radio. Um, and I, I, I like that it's like not uh, a scene later, you see how many people are there, but I like that. It's like, cause they're trying to con the other people and it's saying there's only three of them. 
Uh, and then even at the viewer, you think it's only like five or six of them. And then you pull back and it's like 50 in a whole convoy rolling up. Well, there's like, um, yeah, there's, he said there's like 20, <clears throat> but like 20 bikes. And then when there's like sidecars and multiple mm-hmm. people and bikes and et cetera. Um, yeah. So then they, they, it doesn't take very long for them to, to move the trucks and break in, uh, to the mall. And there's, there's a lot of scenes of them driving motorcycles and i think at some point we see them uh driving a car inside the mall like our Mm. people the heroes um it's just crazy to see them whipping around inside the inside the mall and that's all like that's how it was like uh they didn't have any you know accidents or fuck up the mall or anything yeah it's it's uh super nice especially because like it's like oh man that dude's doing donuts right where the hot topic is there now (laughs) um it's just like wild to see that stuff. But uh, I love the chaos of this whole scene. Like from the start of it, as soon as they are introduced, it, it's very reminiscent of the beginning of the movie's chaos uh, in the newsroom, to me at least, um, where you have like, it's just, just nonstop, just cuts of just different shit happening. And none of it is in like order or anything. It's just random things of what they're doing inside the mall, um, just breaking shit, shooting stuff, just like, ha- you know, probably what most people would do in like in a, uh, when society has collapsed and you're just in a group pillaging for supplies everywhere. Um, probably to them, it's like a breath of fresh air, but the, uh, it is, I, I can't help but feel though, if, if the main characters would have just stayed hidden from the get go, they would have passed and, and, the uh you wouldn't end up in this huge firefight towards the end of the movie um with them but uh, uh at least like the bikers get the just desserts when the zombies start pulling in <clears throat> um so yeah, that's when the, the movie gets the camp really turns back turns up i would say so yeah they're mm. they're pulling out pies and they're smashing that i think that's what the the movie gets known for is everybody remembers the pie the yeah. people throwing pies in the face of the zombies mm. uh, i think it's probably the most iconic um uh part of the one of the most iconic parts of the movie um and they're just like so a bunch of gags and like it's like very it gets comedic but um then it kind of devolves into a shootout between the heroes and the bikers um, because Steven just can't handle them taking our turf or whatever. And like uh, mm. uh, Peter's just like, just let them do their thing. They're going to loot, you know, they're going to take some stuff. They're going to hide, you know, they won't know where we are. And that'll be that. Like, as long as they don't stay here, which mm. they seem to be nomadic, like they just, they're all, you know, they're riding around on bikes. So that was, I think if they would have done, done that, I think they would have been fine. Um, mm. but how did you feel? I wanted to ask about how do you feel about the way all that part was shot though? Because that's what I would consider the most emblematic of the style of the style, the improvisation, mm. improvisational style, just shooting a shitload of angles and stuff and just cutting it into something mm. afterwards, you know, like that's what that definitely seems like. Oh, for sure. Like I was just about to say, when you brought up earlier uh, in the movie, we were talking about the uh, his style of just shoot it and make a story in post. And this is uh, that as I was saying earlier, there's none of the shots go together, but it's all just in the same location. It's just random, but it's chaos. And you between the the cuts and the um, and how much loud noises are going on, and there's all this yelling and uh, motorcycle revving and guns and everything. It's just. Uh, it, but I, I feel like it conveys like properly, like if I was Peter or Steven or, you know, just uh, hiding, watching just like how much tense uh, attention there would be. Um, 
especially with the with all the sound design and everything happening um but uh i think it works i definitely think it works for for this scene um even with the little sprinkles of the camp but uh the when the zombies start coming in in full force though uh and and it just kind of devolves into like a 10 minutes of of people just getting eaten and ripped apart and letting the special effects really fly um i was reading that a lot of the special effects stuff too was just kind of like uh it was the the guy who did the special effects was like hey i can do this and then the george romero was like all right well then we'll make this scene around it so we can set up this special effect yeah and, yeah when uh, tom savini is the lead of, of the special effects he's from pittsburgh um he's kind of a local legend uh he is the head he's the he plays the leader of the bikers um uh, the guy with the mustache i believe the character's name is blade or blades um, wow that's awesome uh, yeah that's tom savini and yeah he um did a lot of the uh, special effects so it's interesting the way that obviously because of the budget and just the how many zombies there are there they it seems like they pay more attention to de the details of the ones that are going to be up close than like the masses that are kind mm. of end up devolving into just uh blue or gray makeup mm. you know just painted blue essentially but some of them uh, some of the other ones are more um involved but yeah I, so i was like oh yeah the where's the effects and then uh, that's where in the end when you're seeing people get torn apart and they do it the same but better in the next one um mm. but i was like oh wow they do do this and and like you see somebody getting like ripped apart um, the mm. guns getting pulled out and, and whatnot, and there's usually there's all kind of extended sequences of that. Um, but it's kind of this is kind of the climax of the film, I would say. Um, mm. and it kind of uh, uh, I I kind of don't like it as much. I feel like the tone gets uh, it 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 gets away from it. Like I still like it, obviously, but um, my favorite parts of the movie I think are the beginning and the middle more so than um then this part with the bikers the ending ending is mm. fine but when i want to talk about that because there's a planned ending that when then when they try they tried to shoot it they ultimately decided not to go that way um but is there anything else you wanted to say about about the ba the bikers uh i i agree with you that tonally it does, especially having a little bit of the more camp stuff um it does kind of feel like the chaos feels like it's part of the same movie, but it almost kind of feels like a different movie at the same time in parts. Um, until it, uh, until honestly, until uh, Stephen dies and uh, and then it goes to focus back more on Peter and Fran. Um, but uh, I mean, it still works. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't, I don't dislike it. Yeah, I no, like it's fine. A whole. Yeah, it's fine. Um, um it's just uh that was never my favorite part though it's some mm -hmm. people but that's the thing is it's some people's favorite part yeah um, i can see i can see why it's it's just as ramped up to 11 you know like action and gore and shit um, it's crazy love, yeah yeah and i love though the the one where the dude gets his legs ripped off from his torso and it's all like one seamless shot and then they're just ripping out the guts and stuff i thought that was so well done and like still holds up effects wise yes uh, yes yes and i think that's that's i think they do something like that in the next one um with the guy gets his like head ripped off um um and he's like screaming while his head, uh, we'll talk about it yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I yeah, love this movie a lot. Um like the beginning is, is really I'm really inf fascinated in the world of this and I think that like that's what I think they've they tried to make macro um 
zombie movies, like World War Z is supposed to be mm-hmm. like that, um, where we're just looking at it from the top of the for the entire world, what's going on, mm-hmm. how do we stop this global thing. Um, but it didn't really work. Um, the book, I don't know the book. I never read the book. Um, but... I would be Movie interested. Wise, yeah. I would be interested seeing like a movie that's like at the beginning of this, and like so the sh- and like they. I, I expect the day that did to be more of that, and I think mm-hmm. it was intended to be. And um, the budget ended up cutting the scope of it back, is from what I've read. Uh, but but that is what I'm most interested in from all these movies is like the news reels and like. Um, the world and they're talking about what the government's doing and they're talking about like you know there's rescue stations and they're being shut down and i think the walking dead explores some of this just because of how it's an extended look at um mm-hmm. s- zombie survival not so much in like the government level but just seeing what's gonna keep what are the next stages as you know months years pass um beyond um and i think that's that's really interesting um, but not a lot of movies really go into it. I think just because of you know the budgets or whatever. Um, but I yeah, I uh, I like the uh, to that point. I like the uh, the newsreel where the guy with the eye patches on and he's bringing up talking about just eating people to, um, like not the zombies, but just like eating the leftover people so they don't turn into uh, zombies to help like with the food shortages and stuff. And everyone's screaming at him at the news station. And then he just keeps saying to himself, just logical, logical. Yeah. He's like losing logical. his mind. Well, I think he was saying also like we could feed. I know, I think he was saying we could feed the zombies so they don't attack us. I thought. That oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. Um, um, yeah. But saying something crazy like that. And no, that's when yeah. everyone was just like freaking out. But we were at the, the point that they were at was of desperation and mm-hmm. like he, nobody wanted to hear, you know, the, these ideas at this point. Um, um, it's very interesting real quick because that is a common, uh, plot point of, uh, or a major plot point of the next movie. Um, the, the feeding of the dead to kind of tame them, so to speak. Oh, uh, well, it's, it's, I don't say it's a major plot point, but it's, uh, it's a thing. It's, like a, it's definitely yeah. a thing in the next one. Um, <clears throat> it's about but, like, it's a, definitely a, an element mm-hmm. of the, the next thing. And I, I want to talk about the next one. So what, is there anything else you want to talk say about Dawn of the Dead? I was just going to ask you, how do you feel about this as a sequel to the first one? Um, with, I with the year gap and everything. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's I think it's like perfect in that regard. Yeah, me too. I like the uh, I like that they don't address. It's been ten years later, and you don't really know what time it's set in or whatever. But it definitely feels like a continuation of the first story. Yeah, just on a bigger scale. I think I definitely think he nailed. Uh, it's nailed like a that. reboot sequel, is what I mm. like. That's how I would uh, characterize it. Like same continuity, but but it's definitely a reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one, it's same kind of feel. Um, like I wouldn't say like the Day of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead are hard to pin together because it's like twenty years. But mm. when you put this one in the middle, it like bridges that gap. Um, For sure. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, what are you giving Dawn of the Dead? Uh, I'm at a three and a half. Wow, wow. I'm giving it a four. Gotcha. Um, I I like Night of the Living Dead better, and I gave that a four. So I'm uh, three and a half feels feels right for this one. But it's so cool. There's so much cool style with this. I love the uh, the Peter character. I love the actor that plays him. Um, it's definitely got so much. Um, 
just style. I can't think of another word other than I think say that. it goes. I think it goes farther than Night of the Living Dead in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Night of the Living Dead. Oh, I think I I gave Night of the Living Dead four and a half. So, um, mm. that makes sense. Uh, but this is definitely great. I don't think this is a flaw like a a flawed film really. Mm. Um. And uh, yeah, I don't really have any critiques I could give about it. It's just, uh, um, it's it's yeah. I don't even know why I wouldn't give it anything perfect, except for maybe the the improvisational style is mm. not my cup of tea. I think in this, oh, well, not the whole mm. thing, but that's like I said, the biker sequence, the a- the the heavy action mm. sequences, um, the trucks was fine and the and the zombie fights were fine but in terms but the biking the biker part in particular is when the movie kind of like not falls mm. apart but um just is loses a little bit of control yeah i i agree with that um but it, uh all right um let's move on to day of the dead we made it through the dawn the sun is up at high noon these movies take place all within twelve hours of the last one and of each one. Um, they don't, but so <laughs> Day of the Dead uh is nineteen eighty five, so not quite ten years later. Um, but like pretty much, you know, solidly in the next decade. And this movie is different in it's it's I would say smaller in smaller and bigger in scope at the same time. Like we're mm. dealing with with national shit or global to na- national to global, you know, shit. Like this is government and scientists and military, but there's not much left. Like we're past that point of the final mm. emergency broadcast, you know, in the last movie. We are in that f- the so like the, it is a sequel in that we are in that next stage past where we were in Dawn of the Dead, where Dawn of the Dead went past that first stage in Night of the Living Dead. Um and um, basically, to give you a quick synopsis of the plot, um, we have a underground like bunker where there is a scientist, a small group of scientists, um, and and that are trying to work on some kind of cure. And then there is a, a military unit that is assigned to protect them. Um, and where we are uh, is the military is now trying to start to take over the operation now that it seems like. Um, there is no really hope for survival. As hope dwindles, um, the military begins to take over. Um, yeah, what do you want? What do you want to start with? The Day of the Dead. Um, I my first thoughts on this though that I want to say is I you can definitely tell like granted this is you know eight seven eight years later but uh, visually um like from a camera and lighting standpoint and all that stuff, big upgrade, big upgrade. The budget uh, is way higher. It's yeah, that it's, shows. It's like, it, um, I forget. It's in the millions. Um, I remember that he, George Romero complained cause it was supposed to be, I think 7 million, but it got cut to three and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, that was, he, you know, that's the reason why there was cuts that had to be made in the scope of this film mm-hmm. was meant to be a lot grander. Um, and it is it feels small but it is but its ideas are big and it's it's what it's dealing with is very Mm -hmm. big and i think that's super interesting um it takes place in florida um fort myers florida um i I went to college with some friends in fort myers and uh i didn't go to college in fort myers i had friends from fort myers 
And uh, I thought that was interesting to, to I wonder why they changed the location from uh, Pittsburgh per Pennsylvania, because the original one is uh, I don't know if it's Philadelphia area, but it's definitely in or Pittsburgh. It's Pittsburgh area. Um, but the second one definitely is they start in Philly and then mm-hmm. they fly over to Monroeville. Um, I, I wonder if it was a just a, a, some exotic feel to the area because you, you you only really see the outside stuff in the first uh, the first act of the movie in the beginning when they're flying around and it definitely feels a lot more like tropical and new and I wonder if it was just to give a, a new sense of uh, and, and but also scope of that this is not just in you know mid midwestern America now we're seeing how this is handled in other parts of the country but uh, yeah, i i realized i just realized there is that there is a theme of tropical theme um and i don't reveal the ending yet but uh there's a character who's from the you know, the caribbean um uh and uh who's has like a jamaican kind of accent um and you know he talks about you know leaving to let's go to an island you know let's just leave all this and find an island somewhere it's actually a line in the last movie um, there was like this terrible actor who says, oh, we're going to try to find an island somewhere. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and like, we're in Lake Erie. And mm. like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and it's funny because that actually is a major plot point in the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead mm. um, with the finding an island thing, which that movie takes place in Milwaukee. Uh, interesting enough. Um, yeah, I don't know what island you're flying to in Milwaukee, but uh, yeah, me either. Me either. It's the Great Lakes. Does it have something? Yeah, there? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> don't think about it. It's, it's, just enjoy it. <laughs> it's Zack Snyder film. Um, but this is better continuity than that. Um, but it's very bleak. It's this strange juxtaposition of this is the darkest. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the dead movie, it's the bleakest. Um, things are bad and they're getting worse, and people are ter- the only people that are left are terrible. Um, and now that all the you know all the good people are gone, or the or the bad people outweigh the good people, um, things are going to fuck. Uh, and uh, but at the same time, a lot of the actors in this movie, not a lot, I, I wouldn't say a lot, but there are key roles in this film that are played by very not either not good actors or campy actors and mm. giving super over the top, almost comical performances. Uh, and um, it creates this very strange uh, tone um, that is the first time I watched it. I did not like it. I was like, this is worse than the other two. The other two were played straight, mm. you know, it was very like other than the bikers, there's, pretty much very old officer woolly and there's some ridiculous shit in dawn of the dead but it's not it's not (laughs) to this level where it's not as sustained you know like consistently Mm -hmm. happening there's a character that's constantly laughing two of them um steel and then the uh, other guy with the hat and the shorter and stout i don't remember his name yeah he's like steel's little like henchman (laughs) buddy yeah yeah yeah. oh my fucking god um Uh, I, i know what you mean that was very annoying hearing him but what are you gonna do i like the i like their uh i like those characters though being as like the that you're like cart you're like looney tune style henchman to the captain um because i i just took it as like everyone's getting cabin fever everyone's, everyone's losing nuts. their mind yeah, yeah and it's a little over the top um the <laughs> um miguel i think miguel salazar is his name is the boyfriend of the main character. This is our first, this is the first movie in the series to have a female lead. 
um and probably the the best written female character of the mm. the three female leads in these movies uh barbara fran fran gets gets you know gets some balls in the second half of the of dawn of the dead mm. but the first half yeah. she's largely submissive but from this movie uh dr sarah bowman played by laurie cardill um is just straight up like flipping people off and telling people to fuck off i'm a scientist with a uzi and mm. uh don't <laughs> fuck with me <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, um, I definitely liked her character. I think that she is, um, you know, I feel like she's our, like, Peter from the last movie, where she's, like, the only one, I feel like, who's, like, thinking logically and smart, and everyone else is just kind of getting in her way, uh, and fucking it up. Um, but it's an interesting, uh, with the relationship that they they put her in with the Salazar guy, yeah, like, uh, he's just nothing but be an asshole to her for the entire film. Yeah, and he's just like losing it. He can't even like hold. He's like so weak to this point that he can't hold uh, the the wrangling sticks for the zombies and shit. And uh, but uh, I side note, I didn't realize uh, until we watched this movie that the. There's a gorilla song that has a, a sample in the beginning, uh, M1A1, that's yeah, uh, from yeah, this movie. I, yeah, I, I recognize <laughs> that as well. Yeah, this sounds really cool. I was, I was wondering where that was from. Um, but uh, that is a cool scene, though, in that opening when they they land the scene yeah, in the town. Yeah, hello! Yeah, it is. And it sounds it just sounds very desperate and bleak, and it sounds pointless. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, yeah, they're doing like this Everyone no knows reason. it's... Yeah, like uh, Doctor Bowman's the only one that like has the drive to keep looking and searching, and everyone else is just like, "This is a waste of our fucking time." Um, um, the, so there hmm. is, so there's like a faction of scientists of non the non military personnel. There's a scientist. There's there's a, a couple scientists, a helicopter pilot, and a radio operator who's an alcoholic. Um, kind of that's kind of like really the only thing of his character. He has one note of the, in the entire movie, um, and that's that he drinks and he's the radio operator and he's the only one who knows how to work electronics. Um, and then, so the two characters that I wanted to talk to you about and I'm curious about is Captain Henry Rhodes, played by Joseph Pilato, and Doctor Logan. Uh, AKA Frankenstein. K K Frankenstein, who just feels like a a like Wolfenstein end end boss. Um, <laughs> just like he's mad scientist. He's definitely it's mm-hmm. leaning into it hard. He's extremely campy. Both of these characters are very camp. Um, yeah, yeah. What do you feel about all that? Uh, I the Captain Rhodes. I uh, I didn't feel it was that campy at first. Um. Even when he, it's like the, uh, he's got his gun to steal so that Steel will shoot Sarah because Sarah won't sit down for the meeting. Um, like I, I was cool with all that stuff, but then when it gets to, um, when he starts like wanting to see what's going on with all the shit and everything that, uh, that, uh, Dr. Logan's doing, it's just, I feel like just hamming it up, just screaming everything at all times. And it's just kind of like a one note uh kind of character but, yeah um, yeah he's just screaming i'm in charge i'm in yeah. charge i can do whatever i want we're leaving well, i tell yeah. you we're leaving and then, you know he doesn't leave but he's just trying to like you mm. know you need us because we have the guns and we are have the muscle um and you'll die without us um which yeah. it, which really isn't is really isn't even true um 
and uh, yeah, they're causing all the problems at this point. They're you know getting into fights. There's they show that they're growing weed. I thought that was fun, funny at the mm-hmm. beginning because you know like that's kind of I think illustrating that laws broken down that the soldiers are openly growing weed and smoking mm-hmm. weed um and drinking beers and so they're drunk and so oh our main character i think this is an important so the, i think this thing this element of this film is kind of like ben being black in the first film like i think mm-hmm. it wasn't intended it might not have been fully intended by george romero and it just kind of worked out um, but Lori is the only woman in this entire place yeah and, and they talk about it like because they're super jealous that she has a boyfriend and he's and he kind of sucks so they're kind of even mean more mean to him because mm. he's getting pussy you know and everyone's constantly um saying things about it but it it's it, the movie doesn't go the whole way to like mm. Lori's in danger of being raped but it's constantly in the air like mm-hmm. as soon as this shit breaks down one of the first things that could happen is that Lori, mm-hmm. there are sarah i keep calling her Lori. that's the actress name sarah dr sarah bowman could be you know raped by these soldiers um and be powerless powerless to stop it you know once somebody um supposedly in you know one of the people in charge of this operation would be powerless um now at this point uh and I think that that makes the movie so fucking heavy and hard. And, like, I'm scared for the characters and how things are going to mm. evolve. Um, I think the camp is, the, like, bring, gives it some levity. But, like, just knowing that the, everyone's threatening to kill each other and, and, and fuck each other and... Um, it's just, it's, it's a bad news. And then you find out that the doctor, so, oh, here's a question I had for you. So apparently the, uh, the, the head officer of this whole thing was a guy named major Cooper and he dies right before the movie starts. And that's why captain crazy ass captain Rhodes is taking over and trying to change everything. And mm-hmm. it's not obvious who kills major Cooper, but we find out that the doc that Dr. Logan has major that took Major Cooper's body and um and is experimenting on it because like how it comes back to life and everything. And yeah. like was it I, I wasn't sure if that was trying to tell us that the doctor killed Major Cooper or if like they or if he died just because it's you know the how it's dangerous in zombie mm. world. Um, but it, it, what did you think about that? I personally thought that he just died of whatever reason, but Dr. Logan was taking the body. Like there was a bunch That's of That's what um, I thought too. That's, but I read some people thinking that the doc that the doctor killed Major Cooper. I mean, I, I think it could go either. It could read either way for sure, but in the cuz in the scene you see other soldier uniforms in there and other uh, on other uh, dead zombies and bodies and stuff um so it's clearly like regardless of whether they're dying of him or not he's taking all dead bodies from um from their camp to just experiment on uh i like the 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 effects though with it when uh he has all the electrodes plugged into his brain uh into the captain cooper's brain and he's like check this shit out and he like presses a button and it raises yeah the effects are cool the effects are cool (laughs) and all that those scene like the go when the the guy like turns the zombie Mm -hmm. turns and all the guts fall out onto the floor yeah Um, yeah i thought that was really cool um but basically what we find out is dr logan's just trying to train the zombies and see what they their capabilities are and and he's like he's testing stuff that doesn't really matter for humanity's survival but it is like you're learning they are learning about the zombies and how they work and what Mm -hmm. they can do 
and that's the issue like sarah is tr er, trying to make with the doctor and he just doesn't get it um and thinks that everyone should be depressed should be impressed by what he's discovered and in particular he has a zombie uh named bub who is trained who is very smart um is able to be learn tasks up to you know shooting a gun and saluting and and mm. operating a walkman and whatnot um bub is a icon it's kind of like the iconic uh, thing of the movie that a lot of people attach to. I'm actually not crazy about Bub. I like the story. I like the the yeah, story, but it's just so hard to do and not be silly. Um, Bub silly. Mm -hmm. Bub in the Doctor's whole thing is super silly to me and kind of takes away from the heaviness of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. but it's still like. Like this could happen. Like this could be a thing that people try to do. Um, it comes up in other zombie movies. I think the end of Shaun of the Dead, they have mm -hmm. like the trained zombies working at the supermarket or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. Tell me about Bub. <clears throat> I I like I agree. I don't. I, I but like I don't. I don't dislike Bub. Yeah. I, I don't hate him, but he. Uh, I feel like this is a product of not. It's, it's very something 80s. that. Yeah, but I was gonna say, but also it doesn't work with Romero's uh, shooting, like filming style, because he's very much a throw light on everything just to get it done. And I feel like this is something that, if it would have been handled more dramatically in the way it was shot, could have read better. Um, but by the time Bub, you know, shoots the character at the end of the movie with the gun, I'm like, I'm just kind of checked out of 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 Bub and, and Dr. Frankenstein and everything. Yeah. Like it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem real anymore and grounded like the it, rest of the, uh, more like the re yeah, 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 yeah. Like we have some silly performances, but the, like how it's written is very, very serious and real. Whereas Bub mm. is a silly. Um, and the doctor is silly and like talking about yeah. like his mom, he's like mommy issues and stuff. And like, that's fine, mm. but it's just, it's very, it's played very camp. And I think that it's, it's, I think the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. I think this is the worst of the three and I get why mm. I get why people didn't like it. And now that I watch it more, I think it's an interesting like I said, juxtaposition of tone um, where it is the bleakest of the three films, but also has the most camp of the three mm. films. Um, and is the, it's a pro kind of a product of its time in a way. Um, and I, I really, um, so apparently Joseph Pilato who plays Captain Rhodes, um, he's, I, he's quoted as saying like how he got the part. Apparently he's a really small, small part in Dawn of the Dead that got cut. It's, I think is in the extended cut. Mm. And, uh, he said, how did he get the part of Captain Rhodes? And he's like, well, the guy that they're going to give it to, um, they couldn't pay him because of the budget cut, so they gave it to me instead. Uh, because <laughs> oh he's, man! Because it's just that much cheaper. Um, a couple. Uh, I wanted to bring up one of the, the soldiers. Um, is Private Johnson? Uh, is played by Greg Nicotero, who is the one of the main makeup guys on The Walking Dead. He's from Pittsburgh as well. Um. And he's done other plenty of other movies on top of that, but I always know that they interviewed him a ton for the The Walking Dead. Like that's like his main, like the main thing I had always associated him with. That's super interesting to see him young, like in his early twenties. He dies early on in the film, um, but it's uh, it's super. It's just 
super cool and like that's the connection to tom savini and he probably was doing makeup and then just they gave him a part in the movie too because you Mm. know money probably money reasons um uh pretty much everyone besides sarah the 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 um the helicopter pilot and yeah that's probably it the the performances are not great yeah yeah this is definitely i feel like this is definitely the weakest uh acting of the three for sure but uh in in speaking of your juxtaposition of the first two i i feel like at least to me i took this i walked away from this i should say as uh almost like kind of a hybrid of the first two where you've got the small scale of night of the living dead um where it's just one location and this is like after the the opening when they get into the bunker this is essentially one big location but it's um it still feels Dawn tight. Of the dead is, Dawn of the Dead is one big location, but it's a really big location. Yeah, it feels um, because there's so much variety in the mall, and then also so much happening before you get to the mall. Yeah, um, and everything. It just it feels more grand and big scale, whereas Night feels small, uh, uh, claustrophobic, and um, more more uh, small story scale, focusing on on. Um, less of the the world and more of just like what's happening in this room right now and i feel like that's what this feels but with the the more grand or the grander vibes of the dawn of the dead because you between like the increase of the the budget where it looks a lot better but also just the um the uh the special effects are the best in this one of all three. Oh um, yeah but even like far. the uh, this the um, ideas <clears throat> like what it's about is much mm. bigger than Dawn yeah. of the Dead. It's not just people trying to survive. It's people trying to, you know, advance civilization or save civilization mm-hmm. or hold on to, like, the last bits of civilization. This is it. This is what's left of civilization. And even in Dawn of the Dead, like, we, they mentioned, like, oh, we can't go there. They might be manned. Like, we can't go to these air, this airport along the river because – you know, there might be cops there and we don't want to, we are, we did steal shit and like society mm. hasn't fully broken down at that point. Um, but we are at the point where this is what's left of society and it is hanging on by a thread and we are going to watch that last thread, sn- you know, snap. Mm. Yes. Um, I feel like in this one, the, uh, when you have the, uh, the smaller, it's like a, more people that were focused on than in the last movie, but you only really focus on a handful within it. There's a lot, a lot of the, the people are just kind of there in background. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I feel like Dr. Frankenstein's most interesting scene uh, was when he comes in to the, the meeting with Captain Rhodes and uh, it is just shutting him down for everything. It's like, well, how would you do that? Where would you go? What would you do this? And I, I almost wish that the doctor was more of that for the movie. Um, and I feel like that would sell his character a little bit more rather than just as soon, cause as soon as he gets out of that scene, uh, it's back to just mad scientists. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just, he does it, all lucidity seems to be gone. Like he just had it turned on in that moment to just get what he wanted, which was just to keep working. Um, well, I think it's supposed to be like, um, he's, you know, he, he's a very smart man and he's, you mm-hmm. know, this is why you're supposed to be with us. And so I think it's supposed to illustrate why they're supposed to stay together. But mm. this is also before they fully reveal how deranged um, Dr. Logan is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what else do you want to talk about? The 
What do I have here? Uh, oh, I was going to ask about, uh, I have written down Flyboy 2.0. Um, yeah, they, can, they bring that back. Um, yeah. <laughs> they bring that back. And one, so that's what I don't like about the movie is the island thing. Is I think every that I think other than the camp, my biggest criticism is the island plot, and they've sprinkled it like I said out throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the they they're like a little makeshift apartment that they have. The the fly boy and the radio guy is like very a beach. There's a giant painting of a palm tree, like an island, and mm-hmm. there's music, and you know they're wearing like Hawaiian shirts or whatever tropical shirts. And uh, and that's what he talks about. He's like, let's just leave all this. And and Dr. Sarah's like, we got an obligation. Like, this is our job. Like, we can't just abandon our responsibility to humanity. And uh, and he's trying to say like, we're past that. Like, it's it's over. I don't have mm. responsibility. I don't believe in what you're doing. We don't believe in what you're doing here. Like, that's why we don't you know help you. Um, like, let's just go. And then she finally realizes it. You know, once I forget what the point is that what Captain Rhodes does, um, but he gets to a point. Captain Rhodes starts killing people, um, and obviously, then that's when we have to get out of there. But mm-hmm. um, he tries to. He wants to take the we- the guns of the scientists um, and stuff like that. Um, I think that happens after Salazar gets bitten, and then they're told to hold up with those guys and their. Uh... They're yeah, like, and they cut his arm stay. off. Yeah, yeah, and like you have to stay here if we see you anywhere else. Like, like you're these guys' problem now. Um, but uh, I do feel like at least Salazar got like a decent redemption for being a dick the whole movie. Um, the one he like sacrifices himself in the elevator with like the well, yeah, but he he dooms everyone. Like it, it almost could have got, and luckily didn't get you know the good characters killed. Um, yeah, he could have. Uh, <clears throat> that is a thing in all three of these movies that they don't really kill any. I I guess in Dawn of the Dead, you know, like Steven and Roger die, but they usually exp- they kind of conveyed a um a bad quality right before they died. Um, mm. and whereas in this movie, the three good characters, all, I guess the one scientist guy gets killed, but then the he's not in it that much. He's, Mm-hmm. And the the three main good people, they all get away just fine and live on a desert island and happily ever after. Uh, how did you feel about the 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 hard jump cut from her screaming, getting onto the helicopter, like through the crowd of zombies to just them on the beach? I for for some reason I was I immediately was just like, no, it's not a fucking dream. They don't tell me that they did it like a, it was all a dream thing. No, yeah, um, I, but, I didn't like it the first time, and I think I knew it was coming this time, so I was more um, <clears throat> it was desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, yeah, it's a kind of a cop out of an ending. It takes away from the the bleakness of the mm-hmm. movie. Like, I think it would have been more powerful if it would have ended not like as simple as, Oh, they kill themselves or they get eaten by mm-hmm. the zombies, but something to convey just how fucked it is or something. Um, yeah, it almost feels like it was, they got into the edit and it was like, Oh shit. The last movie ended with people getting away in a helicopter. We can't show that again. And then, it was Oh, just... okay. So I, we didn't talk about the actual <laughs> exposed, the planned ending for Dawn of the Dead. What was supposed to happen is Peter was supposed to kill himself, and then Fran was supposed to run up to the helicopter, and then instead of, um, instead of getting in, she just like shoves her head into the helicopter blades. 
and kills Jesus. herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a way and to go. The one that the the zombie that gets killed by the helicopter blades in the beginning uh, was supposed to like set that up uh, for interesting. Later. Yeah, that would have been a cool foreshadowing if they. If I they think did that would have been fucking awesome. I I think they they had issues with the the head, um, the head chopping thing and the effects, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, yeah that that would have been a that would have been a dark and depressing Heavy, ending. Yeah, yeah, really get that. I think that would have made it even crazier. This I think that's the same thing with this. Like the ending takes it down for me, um, mm. for, for sure. Um, is there anything else you really wanted to touch upon with this? Uh, all the bad guys get killed in very, very gruesome and horrible ways. Mm-hmm. We actually do get to see somebody kill themselves. Um, Captain or mm-hmm. Steel, uh, whoever the big guy, um, mm-hmm. shoots himself. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty rough. Yeah, the uh, it's definitely, I, I definitely think it's the weakest of the three. Um, but not because of any glaring big issue i think it's just tightening up a couple little things like cleaning up the dr frankenstein's campiness a little bit um same with like the the bub scenes and stuff because like that's that is a cool idea especially for the time of just like like we have no other options so it's cute it's too cute it's too silly and cute yeah yeah agreed um but it's it's still cool like the and the, i love the the effect in this one where someone literally takes a chunk out of an arm and it's just like taking a bite out of like a, a chunk of meat and like they it's it's super clean yeah looking. the effects are really fucking good in, uh in this one they don't you really don't mm-hmm. get to see very much effects and then at the end they save it all for the ending yeah. um and then you just see they like have extended sequences of um zombies chomping um mm-hmm. I love that elevator scene though, when Salazar's getting ripped to shreds, and then you just cut to the inside of the bunker, and you just see the platform coming down, and there's like a hundred zombies on it, and it's just like a. I thought it was a real cool, like the guys out there, just like a oh shit moment. Um, like we're fucked. Yeah, we're fucked. Yeah, um, yeah. I would say this is this. Yeah, like I said, it's the weakest of the three, but I think it has the most uh, the 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 potential on it. Like, there's things I like about it, the story, the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would be interested. No, I would dare. I think it's, this movie has been remade and I'm sure it's terrible because everything of the dead is terrible outside of these three and the Zack Snyder one. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I would love to see something like this. That's the world, more of the world building or more of a, these different mm-hmm. perspectives of, different groups and then uh, that's one thing that's nice about it being so isolated is it is just an isolated perspective that isn't just uh, civilians surviving mm. um um oh i wanted to say uh before we wrap it up um as boy the, the influence on horror video games that these three movies have obviously the resident evil series mm. um but uh so so many things i kept thinking about um, that I've seen in games that reference um, these. They're just so iconic uh, in terms of um, the cultural re- relevance of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Liked it. Liked it all. Do you remember when Dead Rising on Xbox 360 Oh, yeah, came yeah. Out I wanted it, to talk about Dead Rising. Yeah, it Dead had a, Rising. It had a big sticker on the front a cover of the box saying that it was not, uh, had, that it had nothing to do with Dawn of the Dead. And I thought that was like hilarious because it's a it's a pretty much like uh rip off of the mall stuff. yeah the whole uh, rising dead is <clears throat> dawn of the dead the game 
uh, Dead Rising mm. is Dawn of the Dead the game, uh, just like different characters and story. Um, yeah, it's so much fun. I kept thinking about that. Like they really modeled the mall in Dawn of the Dead it, or in Rise, Dead Rising, kind of like the back rooms reminded me mm-hmm. of the same kind of stuff. Yeah, um, very much so. Yeah, Dead Rising and, and Resident Evil uh, definitely take a lot from these movies. Um, but all right, uh, what are you giving Day of the Dead? Um, I guess if I'm going in the order of of how I was saying, I would, this would end up being like a three. Um, I don't want to give. I don't feel right giving it a two and a half because I did. I I enjoyed it. I didn't dislike it in any way, and I feel like below a three is me starting to actually dislike something. Um, I am gonna give it a three also. I like, I like I said, I like a lot of the ideas, but as far as like a mm-hmm. film, um, it has, uh, it has a lot, um, lot left to be desired. Um, it's not bad. It's just not, not, uh, as good as the others. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wish it would have, he would have taken a more serious tone, like with the first night of the living dead. Um, with this one, especially having a similar like claustrophobic feeling, being trapped underground essentially, um, but but it's still good. It has, it has I, a lot I like of the setting. It's not, I don't know. I think it's just. I think there is a great movie in here. Yeah, I agreed. think I think that is just some aesthetic choices, and I think they had to make some budget decisions that uh, ultimately are gonna make it make it hard. Um, but yeah. That's cool. I'm really glad we watched these. There's a little slice of Pittsburgh history and horror history. And um, I think these are inspiring because of the, they're pulpy, but they're, they're, they have some cerebral elements to them. There's some social commentary and um, this, the, the simplicity of the first one. And, but yeah, loved it, loved it, loved it. But all right. All right. So next week, do you know what we got next week? I do I, not know. What we have I do. Week. Next week, we got two new movies. The French Dispatch, Wes Anderson, and Last Night in Soho by Edgar Wright. Oh, that, okay. That is next week's movie. All right. I was, looking at, I was looking at the, the calendar, and I for, there was like a gap in mind for some reason that uh, I was like, what are we doing this week? I guess Justin has it picked out. Um, I'm excited for Last Night in Soho, but excited because I'm not excited about it, if that makes sense. Uh, the trailers to me, I saw the trailer in the theaters and I, it, it doesn't feel like an Edgar Wright movie. And that's, I think what I was expecting when I heard about it, but I'm very open to seeing what he does with it. I think it's a cool concept. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I've been really excited to watch both these movies. So this one's going to be a big one for me. Um, but, uh, yeah. All right. Thank y'all for tuning in. Um, make sure you, you know, like subscribe and all those, you know, lovely things. Let me leave a review if you're on the, the things that you can do that on and tell, tell a pal and thanks for tuning in. All right. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.